Romans 8. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, over the course of this month, we've been paying attention to what the Bible reveals about our identity. And I noticed something interesting in the news this week, that it was a strange week of companies changing their names. Four different companies that I read about that decided to change their names this past week. The first one, Dunkin' Donuts, will going forward be known as Dunkin'. Michael Kaur has uh, decided to change its names to Capri Holdings. Yeah. Weight Watchers is now WW. And just to clarify, that does not stand for Weight Watchers. It's just WW. And the rumor is that Papa John's is going to change its name to Papa John's without the apostrophe. So I was thinking, uh, maybe we should get in on the action, you know? Maybe we should change. I mean, everything's changing around here. Why not change the name of our church, right? And so I, I brought this up at the dinner table. I said, like, oh, we should come up with some, like, really creative name. And my witty wife said, well, St. John's is free. <laughs> They're changing their name to Trillium. We could just take it over. Like, it'd be great, you know? Anyways, she's so funny. What's in a name? Juliet once asked Romeo. That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. 
But each of these companies is changing its name to better reflect its business. See, Dunkin' Donuts actually realized that 60% of their business was selling beverages. So donuts wasn't their main thing, so it made sense to change. Michael Kor purchased Versace, and so they don't want to focus on just one brand anymore, so they need to broaden it. Weight Watchers doesn't want to just focus on weight. They want to talk about whole life health, and so it doesn't make sense to have the word weight in their title. Papa John's is trying to separate itself from a racist owner named John, so they want to get rid of the apostrophe. And it's the same with us. The names that we carry around should reflect what God says about us. If we're wearing a name that doesn't actually reflect who God says we are, then we should be thinking about changing it. We should be taking on some new names, and that's what we've been talking about so far this month. We've been reconciled to God. That's one of the names we wear. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are God's children. These are the names we have. These is, this is our identity. And if we can be clear about who we are when we start each day, the chances of living the life that we've been created and called to live will be that much greater. Now, if any of the people involved in the corporations thought that changing their name would suddenly get rid of their problems and grow their business, they ought to be fired because it's not going to happen. You might get a little blip in sales because you're in the news, but changing a name in and of itself isn't going to make a difference because the challenges a company faces will not go away just because they changed their name. But they will be better equipped to face these challenges if they're more clear and more focused about who they are. And in a similar way, understanding who we are in Christ does not exempt us from the trials of life, but better positions us to stand up under whatever weight it is that we have to carry. So as a church, we have some very good news to announce, the good news of Jesus. We've been singing about it here this morning, but it's a good news that is rooted in reality. And each of our names, as I think about it, is a response to some kind of brokenness. We have been reconciled to God. We can only be reconciled to God because we were separated from him. We're no longer slaves to sin. That's only good news because we've been enslaved to sin in the past. We are God's children. Not only, that's only good news to us because we felt like we didn't have a father, that we weren't part of a family. And it's the same this morning with our theme, More Than Conquerors. It's only good news that we are more than conquerors because we're constantly under attack. We're under attack when a loved one's soul is being eaten away by an addiction. When a friend's marriage is collapsing in front of us, when we're under pressure to provide for our family financially, when we're dealing with chronic pain, when people are talking bad about us, when workplace responsibilities leave us tired and worn out, when someone we care for is in poor health and there's nothing that we can do to help, when close friends disappoint us, when deep personal loss wraps us in the thick cobwebs of grief, well, and that's just my own battlefield. Those are just the things that came to the top of my mind to describe my battles in life. And the reality is every person in this room could write their own list, could have their own list of the battles that you feel like you're waging day in and day out. Now, some of them we might share with one another. Some of them might be completely unique, but we all fight battles. The medieval writer Thomas Akempis said, if you want to enjoy the victory, be ready for the fighting. Where there's no labor, there's no rest. Where there's no fighting, there's no victory. And words like these are inspiring when things are going well in your life. It's like, yeah! But they're exhausting when things aren't going well. It's like, I don't want to fight. I just want the victory. Harvey Cox says, the self is not a static entity. It is a battle site. Sometimes there are truces in the conflict, even fairly long ones. But inevitably, the melee begins again. So there are seasons in our life where maybe things are going well, and we usually don't notice those seasons. We don't pay attention to them. 
Life just seems to be going well. But then the battle breaks out again. I can remember maybe a couple years ago, maybe a little longer, Melissa and I were talking one night, and she, we were talking about just the different people in our lives who were facing so many different struggles, and she said, what is it? What's going on? Why is so much bad happening? And I said, I hate to say it, but I think it's just time. I think it's just time going by. The more time that goes by, the more chance things have to go bad. The more, the more pressure there is on a marriage, the more financial woes mount up, the more physical limitations weigh you down the more relationship strains threaten to break. I mean, time does this to us. So how do we respond to the pain, the loss, the disappointment, the brokenness, the threats? Will we use the same weapons that have been forged against us to, fa- to, for- to gain our victory? If we've been offended, do we offend? If we've been hurt, do we hurt? If we've been abandoned, do we abandon? Will we just give up altogether and say, I oh, forget it, I guess this is just what I've got to deal with? Well, understanding who we are is an essential part of knowing how we can respond. And this passage from Romans chapter 8, it says a lot about how we can get to a place of victory. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So part of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus is that we make ourselves available to be shaped and formed by God so that we can respond as Jesus would. So that when we're facing these trials, we're in the middle of the battle, that we can stand up to it because we're facing them the way that Jesus would. That's good news, but it still kind of puts the pressure on us. It still kind of leaves the responsibility on our shoulders. But there's more to be said. Now, I don't know how many people here were excited about the the premiere of season three of This Is Us this last week. Um, Melissa and I were excited about watching this. We waited until the kids went to bed, so we PVR'd it. And we were watching the episode, and then 40 minutes through it stopped recording. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, So I was like, but I was smart. I actually recorded it on two different channels. So I stopped it, and then I went to the other channel, and I fast-forwarded it, and it also stopped 40 minutes into the episode. And so, like, we didn't even get to the part where we cry at the end, right? So it's just like all these problems happening, and then it just stops. So we have to obviously eventually figure out where to get the rest of the episode and see how it ends so we can have those tears. So as we're reading this passage from Romans, it's like, okay, Paul acknowledges these trials, and then he says, okay, so God wants to form you into the image of Christ so that you can live like him. And, and that's like only half of the story. Being shaped in the image of Christ, being able to respond the way he would, that's part of the story. But there's, there's a, the rest of the episode is what we want to really unpack the rest of this morning here. See, I think one of the big questions that we ask is where is God when life feels like it's collapsing in on us? When these different trials that I'm describing, when the, when the battle is really waging, we ask ourselves, where is God in the midst of this? And then the Bible tells us in Romans 8:28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is one of those verses that a lot of people, I mean, if you've been around church, you know this verse. You, you might have it cross-stitched on your wall. You might have a pillow with it put on it. Like, I mean, it's one of those verses. And I'm actually going to give you a little bit of a, a teaser for 2019. Uh, we're working on our sermon series for next year, and we're going to do a sermon series called Verses You Should Memorize and Why. And we're going to take a look at these, these classic verses from the Bible that everyone kind of knows and how most t- often they're taken really out of context. Um, but they're still worth memorizing, but maybe for a different reason than we think. So that's coming next year. But in the 10 verses leading up to this beautiful statement about God working out everything for good for those who love him, Paul describes the human experience using the words suffering, frustration, 
bondage, decay, groaning, and weakness. In those 10 verses, and then he says, and as you can see, God works everything out for good for those who love him. Suffering, frustration, bondage, decay, groaning, and weakness. Anyone who reads verse 28 and concludes that God will only let good things happen to people of faith needs to back up those 10 verses and read it again. You see, God's response is not to prevent us from entering the battle, because life is the battle. God's response is to go into it with us. What then, Paul asked, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I was reading that over, and I was thinking about how today is the end of the Major League Baseball season and the start of the postseason. And I was thinking about how exciting postseason baseball is because you have these epic battles, and you, you don't know who's going to win. You have the, the best pitchers in the league and the best hitters in the league, and these teams go at each other, and you have no idea how it's going to end. And that's what's exciting about it. And so Paul is like describing this battle we're facing in life, and he's like, like what's going to happen here? He's like, if God is for us, who can stand against us? There's no battle there is no contest. You don't have to watch seven games here. If God's for us, it's over. You know, you win. Just like that. He seems to say that with God, the game has already been played. And I've been wrestling with what this means. Like, what, what, is, what does he mean by this? How can he just say that if God's for us, then no one can stand against us? What does it mean? And I think at least part of what we have to hear in this is that knowing God is for us is the greatest of all truths we need to learn in life. Knowing that God is for us is one of the greatest truths that we need to learn in life. And that whatever else befalls us cannot touch us, and it cannot touch what this truth says about us. Because this truth says something so significant. There's a song that we sing here sometimes, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And it's this reminding ourselves that God is for us that actually gives us the strength and the ability to walk into the battles that we face. How does an awareness of this truth change our circumstances? It probably doesn't change our circumstances at all. Knowing that God is for us and is with us probably doesn't change the negative things that we've got to walk through in life. It probably doesn't, but it changes us. It has the opportunity to change us, to change our perspective, to know that we're actually not alone in this, to know that there are more significant things that God will help us walk through. And to know that when, we, when Paul talks about God being for us, it's not like, like God is just standing up there in the, in the gallery, like, clapping. You can do it. Keep fighting. No. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is involved in the fight. He sent his son for us. He gave up the best he could possibly give. Uh, Helen mentioned, this is Mark's last week here, and uh, we have had an opportunity to celebrate him this past week, and, and a choir came, and they, they wrote a song basically making fun of him and performed it. It was great, and they gave him a couple of gag gifts, and someone baked this custom cake exactly the way he wanted it, and, and we got together and gave him a gift so we could continue to build this hobby that he has. And, and I was thinking about when you get a gift from someone that's personal, it, it just means so much more, right? Like when someone knows you, they can give you something that really speaks, and reflect, speaks to and reflects the relationship that you have with them. Well, God gave us like the most personal thing that a person could ever be given. He gave his son for us. So we know that he is not just standing up there in the distance cheering us on, but he's engaged in the battle with us. N.T. Wright said, a new sort of power will be loose upon the world and it will be the power of self-giving love. This is the heart of the revolution that was launched on Good Friday. 
You cannot defeat the usual sort of power by the usual sort of means. If one force overcomes another, it's still force that wins. Rather, at the heart of the victory of God over all the powers of the world, there lies self-giving love. And so the act of God sending his son is the the first of so many acts of self-giving love that define the way that we overcome the battle that we wage every day. So life is a battle. God is on our side, but what does victory look like? What does it look like for us? In verse 34, Paul asks another question, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This past uh, a Friday night, I was at a, a funeral visitation, and as we were standing in line, I got in a conversation with someone, someone I knew from a, a previous church years ago, and he was telling me this story. Uh, it was a long line. We had a long time to talk. He was telling me this story about when he was younger, and, and he, he got drunk one weekend, and he was feeling like really bad about himself, and he was trying to think of the word. He said, I was feeling like, like and I said, conviction? And he said, no. He said, conviction is, is a good thing to feel. He said, I was feeling condemnation. He said, and that's something, that's something that I shouldn't have been feeling. And he's telling me the story and how someone kind of spoke into his life and reminded him, there is no condemnation. Conviction, yes, the conviction of the Spirit leading us into good, but not the condemnation that says that we are doomed to fail. We don't accept that. There is no one who condemns because the only person who can actually condemn us is actually interceding on our behalf. It's a beautiful picture. Regardless of what happens around us or to us, there's safety and security in the love of God and the knowledge that we are in some unexplainable way worthy of this love. We can be so hard on ourselves, but Paul reminds us there's no condemnation. I think of my kids sometimes, they come and they tell me that they do bad on a test in school or maybe they didn't excel in a a game when they're playing sports or something. And I feel like my response, the response I always want to give is it's okay. Like these things don't matter. Like I love you. That's what matters. And as they get older, their struggles will grow and their failures will have more significance. I think that I'll still respond the same way. Like it's okay. You know, the main thing is that I love you. And this is just me. This is just like a normal human parent. And we think about God, who last week we talked about as being our father and us being children, and how much more he has no interest at all in condemning us for whatever struggles that we're going through in life, but just wants to let us know that he's with us and he loves us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul asks? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword. I mean, pick any terrible thing that could happen. That's what Paul's doing. He's just listing, like, the worst things that he can think of right off the top of his head. Will that negate God's love for us? Does that build some kind of barrier in between us? Any disaster that comes in our life, any failure that we, that, that's a result of our actions, does that negate God's love for us? He's like, no. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I met Fox writes, there is no difficulty that enough love will not conquer, no disease that enough love will not heal, no door that enough love will not open, no gulf that enough love will not bridge, no wall that enough love will not throw down, no sin that enough love will not redeem. But then maybe the really interesting thing about verse 37 is that we are the ones who do the conquering. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us when we acknowledge that God is for us, and when we allow God to conform us to the image of Jesus, we have what it takes 
to fight the battle in front of us. That's the promise of this verse from Romans 8. That's the promise of this piece of our identity, is that we are able to face up to whatever comes in front of us. And so we're going to close by reading the end of this passage again. You know, there are a lot of great verses in the Bible. There are a lot of great statements, uh, and this is one of the best. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth that every one of us needs to hear this morning. So as we leave this place and prepare to face whatever challenge us await us out on the battlefield, let us leave at the very least knowing that God is for us and that nothing at all can separate us from his love. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for these words, grateful that over all of these centuries, these words that have such significance for our lives have been passed down, and we can crack open this book and be reminded about who we are, about what our name is, about what our identity is, who you've called us to be, who you've created us to be. And so, God, I pray that an awareness of your love, of you being on our side, and the lengths that you are willing to go for us will just resonate in our hearts today. I pray that as we gather around tables to discuss, that as we head home and, and think about these words, and as they echo in our minds and our hearts through the week, that we would be reminded that you are for us. And we give thanks for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.